Good morning. That's not good enough. Good morning. It is a wonderful privilege to be with your church today. My name is Stephen G. Hatfield. I lived right up the road. My wife, Marcy, and I and our family spent 30 years at First Baptist Louisville. I had about 50 years in active ministry, but retired as of 18 months ago. And retirement for me means I do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. And at the top of my list is to be with you today. No kidding. This has been a blessing to me already. Before I get into the passage that represents this is me, just a couple of items of clarification about me. My wife, Marcy, and I have five children. We have four daughters and a son. They all are grown up. They've married. We have 18 grandchildren. <laughs> I think something that was printed a few weeks ago said we had 15. We just lose count every now and then. <laughs> but we have 18 grandchildren. Marcy and I do our best to keep up with them. Marcy thought for a while that she would get a tattoo all the way up here with every name on it. But... We ran out of room as we went up there. So, but those children live near us. We're very blessed to have children and grandchildren. One family's about four blocks from us, another one just a little less than a mile, another one just a couple of miles. Our daughter Lindsay, whose husband Robbie, and his name is Robbie, it's not Rob. I know he wants to be called that, but anyway. They moved to Frisco a few years ago, and I said, no problem. We'll see you Christmas and Easter. So that's a little bit about our family. But other thing is, I know my name, Hatfield. It gets all kinds of questions. I can't go anywhere without someone saying, are you one of those Hatfields? And my pat answer now is, yes, and we won. <laughs> this is me. You have a story to tell. I have a story to tell that's based upon the passage of Scripture that really means the most to me. It's from the book of Philippians. I'm one of those that I can't help it, folks. I was brought up speaking in superlatives. So something is always the best, it's the greatest, it's the most, or sometimes it's the very opposite. But I'm one of those that says and thinks, honestly, when you open up the Bible and read, you're reading the greatest passage ever because it's the one you're reading at that moment. And that's what we're going to do this morning in the time I have to spend with you. And once again, thank you for the, the invite and your staff and just, y'all are just good. Did you know that? You're just good. <laughs> but it's a passage that actually is a prayer. And you know, it's totally good, it's totally fine to pray the prayers that we find in Scripture. There's some men and women in the Old Testament that their prayers are written out. We can pray them. So it is in the New Testament. And Paul the Apostle is one who offers several prayers in the books, the letters that he has written for us. And that turns... That makes me go to the book of Philippians because this four little chapters, I believe, tell us all we need to know. Now, we've got the rest of God's word at our disposal, yes. But if you're looking for a passage, if you're looking for words that can bring everything together as it relates to knowing Jesus, I believe it's this one. 
in particular this prayer in chapter 1, verses 9, 10, and 11. This has been on my heart and my mind. I wouldn't call it a life verse, but ever since high school and going into college and writing papers and word studies in seminary, I always ended up here. Years ago, we lived in Grandview, Texas, south of Fort Worth. I pastored the First Baptist Church there while I was in seminary, southwestern. And we were there eight years. And in about the fifth year, I just, I just wanted to spice up the preaching. A little. I, I'm not that I didn't believe that what I was trying to tell people, or God wasn't blessing our work, but I just wanted to, to kind of take a, a new picture of it and a new angle on it. And so I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to memorize the book of Philippians, and I'm going to stand up, and when it's time for the sermon, I'm just going to light into it and quote the whole thing. I spent a month memorizing those four chapters, the letter of Paul to the Philippian church. That Sunday morning, we had the song service. We got to the point of pastoral prayer. I prayed, and then when it was time for the sermon, I stood up, and I just started quoting Paul and Timothy, apostles of Jesus Christ, all the way through. And folks, I nailed it. I nailed it. I didn't miss an and or a but or a the. I had it down because I had worked hard to get it down, and I did. That was a church where I stood in the, what do you call it, uh, lobby, vestibule. I stood out front and shook hands with people. That's what I did. And people went by and said, good Good sermon preacher, one guy named Buck Emery. I'll never forget it. He walks up, sticks out his hand, and says, Stephen, sure would be nice if you'd use the Bible sometime. (laughs) (laughs) So there you have it. Here's the prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. That's a prayer that you and I can pray. When you're looking at things in God's word according to, you know, grammar, wanting to research all the words and make sure everything was right. There's a a way of interpreting or looking at a prayer like we're looking at today. And it's to where each one of those clauses or each one of those phrases can stand on its own. And it can. And grammatically, this prayer that we're looking at is one that you could just say that Paul is listing four things that he wants to pray for. And he, he wants to make a part of his prayer. And that's good too. But then again, you could look at it in a different way as though it is a progression, that it is a a step ladder approach to the prayer. And even though it's just an interpretation, grammatically it works, grammatically it works just to say that he started praying and he prayed for these four things and they weren't in any particular order. But I want to suggest to you that maybe there are where they are in Scripture, and they're listed in this prayer exactly like they are because it is a progression. It's like a step ladder, and we've only got one that's got two steps here, but I want you to envision 
that it's four steps. And that as we look at this prayer, it is one that you begin at the bottom, you move up in a step, you take the next step and the next, and that's how we see this prayer. That's how we pray this prayer with those thoughts in mind. See, you may be a lot like me. For me, life has been a series of choices that I've made. Just simply going, but my life, you know, just I would choose this, I would choose that, I would make this, that. But now, as I look at a prayer like this, it's not that way in my mind anymore. It's not just a series of choices, but it's a progression It is moving from one step to the next in my understanding of what this prayer is really all about. So, you ready to take the steps with me? I hope you are, because that's what we're going to do. Step number one, he said it, I pray that your love may abound. Think about that. Here at the bottom, before you even take a step, you might say, What do you do? Well, you look at love and you think about God's love, agape love. And you determine that as you look at other passages of Scripture, such as 1 Corinthians 13, that's been called the love chapter by so many people, and rightfully so. But you begin to see that at the very beginning, in other words, you've got to have that kind of love for your church. You've got to have that kind of love for the people in your sphere of influence, for your family, for mankind. It begins with that kind of love, and you must take that step to love as God loves us. And all God's people said? That's, that wasn't loud enough. And all God's people said? All right. But notice that he goes a little deeper with this first step, if you will. He says, I pray that your love will abound. Still more and more in what? Knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge. General principles, if you will. Discernment. Allowing that knowledge to help you and me to pinpoint specific things in life that we need to practice, that we need to believe in. I taught seminary for some years at Southwestern New Testament. And I gave tests to my students. And I would tell them, you're responsible for it all. You've got to handle the material, whatever it was. But I wasn't going to ask them to bring back to me every single thing that they knew. But I was going to ask them to take specific examples that I gave them or situations that I gave them and apply what they knew in the big picture to apply it in their lives. That's what Paul's talking about. I hope and pray that your love will abound. That's where it begins. God's love, agape love. In general knowledge, yes, but discernment, knowing knowing how to choose what is best, which leads us to the second statement. He says, Hey, don't be making fun of me. Most of you have to do this too. (laughs) So that you may approve the things that are excellent. You may approve the things that are excellent. Now, folks, that's an awkward statement. 
I mean, it, it's true. But what is, what, as we bridge one language to the next, what can we say Paul is really telling us? Literally, approve the things that are excellent is one word in the New Testament, the Greek language. It's not approve the things that are excellent like it is in English, but that's how we have to describe it. But what it really means is testing the things that, that differ. Testing the things that differ. Okay, approve the things that are excellent literally reads testing the things which differ so that what? So that we can make the choices in life that are, that are best, that are God's will for us each and every day. So it's testing the things that differ so that we might what? We might choose the things that are best. So folks, think of it this way. I, I didn't have to get up this morning and get in the truck to come down here and know that I had a temptation to rob Walmart on the way down here. I don't deal with that. I don't. I know. I, I've got the moral fiber that knows that that's wrong. So I don't have to worry about those things that are so obvious. Yeah, I still pray about everything, but that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying test the things which differ, so you can approve the things that are excellent, so you can choose what's best. Now, what that means is, though I'm not tempted in those ways, there are choices I have to make in life that aren't so black and white, that aren't so right and wrong, that aren't so clear. Yes, I know what God expects of me in this area of life or that area of life. But when it comes to certain decisions, it's a little cloudy. Do I marry this person? Is this the love of my life forever? Is this job what I need to do? Do I need to head in this direction? Do I need to make this choice? Do I need to invest in this or that? And you sit here and go, whoa, wait a minute. Those things that are easy to decide are clear, but those things that are good, better, best, it's a totally different circumstance, isn't it? Because simply put, who wants good when God has better out there? And who wants better when God has best out there for us? And then throw this one in there, folks. Sometimes God's will is simply him speaking to us and saying, Stephen, take your pick. Choose one. I'll bless them all. I'll bless this. I'll bless that. See, when Paul says, test the things which differ, approve the things that are excellent, He's saying, folks, if you start down here at the bottom with love, love, God's love, and then you step up to what? You step up to those choices in life that may be easy to decide, yes, but those choices in life that call for fervent prayer. That's what he's saying. See, that's why I don't think these were just random things that he says, pray for this, pray for this, pray for that. No, he's saying love has got to abound. Then you have the opportunity to what? To test the things which differ and approve the things that are excellent, which leads us to step number three. What does he say? He says, 
in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. In order to be sincere, literally tested by the Son, is what that means. You go, wait a minute, what do you mean? If something is sincere in Paul's language, he's saying it has stood the test of evaluation. It stood the test of the light. And you know how certain things you can see clearly, but there are other things that you really can't see what they are until it's till the light appears on it, till the light shines on it, till the sun, and, and believe me, we all, we've had enough of the sun in these days, but when the sun comes down and reveals what is most important or what it is that we're really looking at, it's amazing to be tested by sun, sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Really, it means our lives are transparent. Our lives are such that when tested by the light of the sun, when tested by God's word, when tested by what God expects, then those things to become clear. Remember, his approach is love has got to abound so that you can approve the things that are excellent. So that because of that, you can step up here, and I'm not about to try that because I value my life. But... (laughs) You sit here and go, what is he saying? He's saying, well, these things depend upon one another. It's a step approach. It's a progression. It's not just random thoughts. To be sincere, to be transparent, tested by the Son. Which leads us to his fourth request, fourth step in this progressive prayer. And that's what? Having been filled, he says, with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, that's a pretty long series of clauses, but what's his main one? What's the real subject? It's to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. What's the best definition of righteous or righteousness? It's just lopping off R-I-G-H-T, right? a right standing with God, a right, correct understanding of what he wants, standing in, in a right relationship before God that's not based upon what we can do, but based upon what? Based upon Jesus, the Christ, he says. Comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So when we're praying the prayer of Philippians 1, 9, 10, and 11. Yeah, you can look at it as these four things that are very nice and spiritual, and we just pray them, pray over here, pray over that, pray for this. Or you can say, I need to pray this prayer as a progression of steps. And if something is out of sync in my life, maybe if I go back through this prayer, I'll see that I'm not loving like I ought to love. Maybe if things are not gelling and things are not progressing in your life the way Jesus would want them to, maybe it's because you're not spending any time distinguishing the choices of life and praying to God that he would guide you, especially those prayer requests that are not quite as clear-cut as others. A prayer 
that's so much more than just clauses and phrases, but a prayer that's a progression for each one of us. I'm sorry, I'm trying. see, we come to this just as we are, no doubt. But when we come to God just as we are, it doesn't mean we stay the way we are, does it? It means that we grow and we learn. And when we say, I'm coming to God just as I am, that's totally true. But what God wants us to do is say, and now, Follow me, love me, take these steps in life that are going to make a difference. You'll never stay the way you are. You'll be the kind of person I want you to be. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God. I come, I come. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty. Oh, pardon by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God just as I am. Just as I am. And waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blood to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot. O Lamb of God, I come. I come, I come broken to be mended, I come wounded to be healed, I come desperate to be rescued, I come empty to be filled, I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, 
and I'm welcomed with open arms, praise God, just as I am. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as your people call upon your name, knowing that you hear us when we pray. And Father, we thank you for those passages that, that we take on as our own. This is me, we say, but it's really God through us, God speaking through us, God encouraging us, and for that we give thanks. Father, I thank you for Valley, Valley Ranch Baptist Church, for the ministry they have had so many years in this area. Thank you for bringing us together to encourage one another and to call upon your name. It's all these things we pray in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord and all God's people said.